Friends, fans, and warriors, documentaries are more than just movies. They are powerful educational tools that can bring people together to create a better world. That's why we are thrilled to announce to you a free public screening of our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters, June 21st at Christian Fellowship Center, 201 North Main Street in Sturgis, Michigan. This powerful film has already made an impact nationwide and worldwide by educating and motivating everyday people to challenge and change legislation for the safety and protection of children. If you're in the Sturgis, Michigan area, you don't want to miss this inspiring documentary that sheds light on the deliberate attack on our children through the education system, affecting families everywhere. Again, that's June 21st, 6.30 p.m. at 201 North Main Street, Sturgis, Michigan. Event is hosted by Christian Fellowship Center. Details and links to more information in the show notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. I don't like you because you're dangerous. If you want to learn more about us and the movies we're making, you can visit fearlessfeatures.org. So today, I am excited. We're going to have a special guest on the show, Kristen Bentley of Texas, mm-hmm. to share with us about what's been going on in Texas and the, the David and Goliath story that's hap- that had happened just this legislative session this year in 2023. You're everyone's problem. Right. So Kristen, she is so great. And um, we met early of 2022 as the mind polluters was rolling out in Texas and she helped lead the charge of having the mind polluters screen at the Texas state capitol the GOP state convention and many others I mean even helping senators set up weeks-long movie tours with the mind polluters to help educate constituents there inconceivable Our um, talk, our interview was pretty long, so we're just going to get right to our conversation and let you guys all in on what we've been sharing. All right, here we go. So we are so excited to share a special guest with you all today, and she's no stranger to the program, Kristen Bentley. And the last time, Kristen, that you joined us, you were leading Texas Freedom Coalition as the executive director. And the last time we talked, it was April of 2022. So... There has been a lot of things that have happened, and I think you have added titles to your name and position and what you've been doing. Can you just kind of give us a brief rundown of what's going on? Yes, yes. Well, it's great to be with y'all. And um, so since April of last year, um, I was elected to the executive board of the Republican Party of Texas. And so I serve Senate District 1, uh, represent them on the executive board of the of the state party, and which encompasses 19 counties up in Northeast Texas, very conservative, very Christian area of the state. And uh, so the title is State Republican Executive Committee Woman, and I serve on a legislative priorities committee for the party. And I chair or lead in the priority Stop Sexualizing Texas Kids. And so how- I've stepped down from Texas Freedom Coalition and to just make sure that I don't have any sort of conflict of interest there. But um, yeah. primarily, that's what I'm doing now is serving on the board of the Republican Party of Texas. Wow, that is that's really exciting. Congratulations and well done, because I know that it was a, a hard fought race and it was, it was a slim margin. <laughs> 
It was, yes. <laughs> one, I won by one weighted vote. So, yeah, so they do weighted votes um, in the election, and I won by one, which was just amazing. And I loved it, because, and I told everyone that's why it matters to show up in elections, because they, you know, these margins can be so slim and, uh, it was, it was pretty neat. Yeah. Well, and, and the last time we talked, you were kind of given the history and background of how you came, you know, originally roots in Texas came, but had many years in California and you came back to Texas. And I was just thinking all in the Lord's timing. So can you, can you kind of tell everybody, so after you get elected, um, what started transpiring and uh, tell us about, what Texas has been doing leading the way in the nation really to stop the sexualization of children. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I do, I love, um, last time I think I did tell the story about how uh, the Holy spirit just convicted me to, to get out of California, get my family out of there. Um, always wanted to get back to Texas and just thought it was impossible. And what we know and what's been demonstrated to me over and over again, um, is that everything is possible through God. So I've been told that I've been able to do the impossible several times now, but I I tell everybody um, the impossible is is always possible through God. It's so good to know that. Um, And so uh, in Texas, you know, we have like everywhere else in the country been experiencing um, just very overt sexualization of our children. And so we, you know, see it in our schools and uh, in, in what they're teaching kids, uh, counseling students on their gender um, and orientation, literally transitioning kids at school. That's happening in Texas, just as it is happening everywhere across the country. And the sexually explicit materials that we're finding in our schools here in Texas are you know, that's a nationwide problem. And um, the drag shows, sexually oriented performances in front of children, and um, all of this grooming that's taking place, pride festivals with children. Uh, we have those same problems here in Texas that everyone is experiencing. And so at our convention, when I was elected last year at our convention, delegates also decided on the Texas Republican uh, platform. And I encourage everybody listening to look at the TexasGOP.org website where you can find our platform. And we have just this amazing blueprint of um, really what I think um we, you know, what we are using to hold the line here in Texas, and it could be duplicated in other states. We have a platform that has over 240 planks, mm-hmm. and, and it, it, you know, really, really covers so many of the issues and topics uh, related to politics and what conservatives stand for. But in there um, is a lot on children and this issue with sexual grooming. And so from that, we pulled a priority and delegates chose uh, Stop Sexualizing Texas Kids as a priority. And um, I've been blessed um, 
you know, it's a huge honor to be able to lead that. And so all of these issues that I just talked about with sexualization, we created um, a problem and solution kind of layout. And I believe we had a, about six um, legislative solutions that we wanted to see. And five out of those six um, categories had legislation that was passed. So we um, had a total of five bills that that passed. Praise the Lord. So can you run that? Because I, re- I remember when I first reached out to you because I saw what was happening in Texas. I mean, it was all over the news. I mean, people, um, uh, Representative Patterson passed the Reader Act. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was really exciting, especially because we know how much the mind polluters was being shown in Texas. And yes. then when we saw, um, you know, the the stop sexualizing Texas kids. And the one thing that you guys called it was the millstone package and the mind polluters opens with the very verse that you guys used. And I was like, so excited and proud of you guys and everything that you were doing. I mean, it's incredible to see the Lord's people come together. And that's, that's what's most exciting. It is all possible through God. And so can you, can you just kind of step us through what happened? Cause you were telling me there was this David and Goliath happening. What, yes. what was going on? Well, I'll tell you, HB 900 is such the Reader Act by Patterson. It's such a neat um, story, and it is a David and Goliath story. And um, I will tell you real quickly, and I get the chills um, when you said that the film led with um, the same scripture and um, Oh, I just, I didn't realize that even though I, I mean, I've seen, you know, we, I screened the film a lot in Texas and, uh, and I, and I want to tell you this, cause I think this is another amazing connection is that I have a subcommittee made up of about, uh, I think there's about maybe 12 or 13 of us now. And in that subcommittee is Monica Klein. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And so, um, and I'll tell you, Debbie Simmons is on the subcommittee, and I know Debbie wasn't in the film, but I know that she a big I part think, of research and help. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So um, we have this am- amazing subcommittee of people where we looked at policy, and um, and we I think looked at over probably over about sixty five bills that were filed. Um, now I'll tell you with HB nine hundred, the Reader Act, and um, when we first were identifying solutions. Um, Representative Patterson came to mind with the one related to removing uh, explicit materials out of our schools. And and he came to mind. I always saw him as a champion of this because he was um, at the forefront in his own school district where his kids go to school and where he represents um you know, Texans um, down in the house and it's in Frisco ISD and and it's been in the news. So he brought a lot of attention to the book problem that they had in their library. And so he really understood this issue. He faced all the same challenges that parents um, do in removing these sexually explicit materials from schools. And so when I met with him last fall, I brought him an idea about um mandated library standards because in the state of Texas, we have a lot of standards related to curriculum, but we actually had no standards related to our libraries. Wow. And yeah, and I think most um, states are probably very similar to Texas in that. 
And so we, one of the solutions um, that I wanted to see was that we created some mandatory library standards related to prohibiting sexually explicit materials. And so he took that and then he took the idea that he had um, related to vendor enforcement and vendor rating, and he combined that into what is the Reader Act. And so um, this bill, essentially um, what it does is um, prohibits the books um, using mandated state standards and the enforcement is through our vendor contracts. So vendors have to label their books as sexually explicit or sexually relevant. Sexually explicit materials are defined um, in the law and very specifically and those books are completely prohibited. Now, if a vendor is caught selling those books to a Texas school, Texas schools can no longer purchase from that vendor. And, and it, he, it was that yeah. piece that made me really excited for setting the precedent across the country, because not only will that help the Texas schools, but they're automatically going to remove some of those books so that they don't accidentally get yeah. into Texas schools. So I was applauding and cheering for what you guys were doing there in Texas. So I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and you bring up a great point because one of the things that we know is that the vendor enforcement and rating, um, we, you know, not all states could, could, could do that the way that Texas can and lead, and Texas can lead on it so that other states can do it. And, you know, and follow suit, but, but it needed to be a state like Texas who has huge contracts. I think, um, I, last I heard that it's like a $300 million a year industry in the state of Texas, yeah. just selling books, um, to libraries. We have a lot of schools in Texas and it's a huge industry. We also, we know that, um, in case law, when when it comes to regulating speech, we want to be very mindful of First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we see is that we don't want the state being both um, the raters of speech and the arbiters of those ratings. Uh, what's worked in the past and always been uh, legally very sound is that the industry regulates themselves to comply with the law. And then we have an agency that makes sure that they are in compliance or working as an arbiter, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that's essentially what HB 900, the Reader Act does. And we do, you know, Heritage Foundation came out um, in May and called it model legislation for the rest of the nation. Absolutely. And that was God's timing because that came out on a Monday and the next, uh, the following day, um, we knew that they were in the Senate trying to make major changes to the bill. Mm. And that's when it, you know, became really a David and Goliath kind of story because we were very much against vendors and the technology industry wanting to completely change the bill and take away that vendor enforcement. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, we were able to fight it and we actually got HB 900 passed out of the Senate without any amendments. And that 
is another thing that they said was impossible. It's just amazing. It really is amazing like to not have any amendments brought in and have to go through the process all over again. I mean, well done. Well, well done. It's, it's exciting. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great story. I tell people, um, you know, God is in so many of the details. When we look at HB 900, um, I, I knew that that bill in particular was going to need um, to have a very intentional kind of um, messaging all along. Um, you know, this is a very controversial topic. It's um, and and there was a lot of mis um, or disinformation regarding. I think yeah. um, you know the narrative around putting up book boundaries and removing sexually explicit materials. And we all hear them. We hear that this is book banning. And they try and say that we're targeting um, books about people of color and LGBTQ books um, and, you know, and that we're taking removing books for their ideas and all those sorts of things. Um, But I'll tell you, in the state of Texas, too, one of the things that I identified really early is that in this state, our legislators, and um, they hadn't seen the materials for themselves yet. <laughs> I, and I, I was and, just getting ready to go because I really am fascinated with your filthy book campaign. So I think you're you're segueing into that perfectly. So go ahead. Okay, good. Yes. So when I so the the session in Texas is unique um, in that it's a part time legislature. It only lasts about five months. Um, we start in January. We end at the end of May. And so when I was down there those first few weeks of the legislative session, I had a packet of some books, some examples. Um, Let's talk about it. Gender queer. Blue is the warmest color. Some of the worst books that we find with the most pornographic images. And so I was going around to offices and I was showing them this packet. And of course, they're shocked by it. But what I what I learned in those first few weeks is that they had not seen the books for themselves, the, the majority of them, and they thought it was an isolated problem. And there were a few other things in the narrative that we needed to overcome, but those were the two biggest, was yeah. making sure that they understood uh, what we were talking about and that they knew that this was not an isolated problem, that these books are in every single school district across the state of Texas. And so that is what um, inspired the Filthy Book campaign. And so what I did starting in in middle of February is I started sending uh, every single Texas legislator one filthy book a day. And, uh, and, And what I mean by that is I've sent them a filthy book report. And so the report had the graphic images, the graphic content, um, a new title, and then I would put a link for them to check and see if it was in their school district. So um, within, I would say, about three weeks, oh boy, it really <laughs> caught on and it got attention. And part of what I wanted to make sure, too, by the way, is that they would have to go back if they didn't pass a bill to correct this problem, they would, we would know that they, every single one of um, their constituents would know that they saw what is in the schools and they did nothing about it. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, kind of my plan is if they didn't do something to pass good legislation on this, 
then they were, you know, they had at least seen it and they would have to go back to their districts and defend it. But it really was an amazing campaign. And by the end of it, they all, you know, were talking about it. I would have senators and representatives um, see me in the halls and say, what book are you on now? Um, 46 <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, I just, and I also told them too, by the way, that I had a book, um, I could send them a book every single day until the 89th session. Um, I mean, literally, I could send books for three years yeah. and we would still be sending books. That's yeah. how many there are. But um, but yeah, I think these filthy book camp, the filthy book campaign can be done in other states with our legislators, but it can also be done locally with school boards, with city councils. It can be used for the public library, the books that we're finding in the children's section of the public libraries. And if somebody, so since we're talking about that, and for somebody who is interested in learning more about the Filthy Book campaign, can you kind of um, walk them through what are some steps that they need to take? Where were you drawing your information from? Because I know that there are several resources already available um, that are basically have the book reports for parents, for teachers, for school board members, for legislators. You can look at them. So where where should they start, and how do they how do they start their own? Um, with their representatives in other states? Yeah, okay, that's a great question. So um, I did start documenting, I think around day 20 of the Filthy Book campaign, I started documenting all of it on Substack. So Mm -hmm. anyone can go to my Substack at the daughter, so T-H-E daughter, you know, D-A-U-G-H-T-E-R dot Substack dot com. And um, you can see the example of... um, the letter that or the email that I would send out and because I basically just copy and paste it onto Substack, the email and the book report that I would send out to legislators. And mm-hmm. um, there's other documents on there as well. And um, the letter that I initially sent out to inform them about um, the Filthy Book campaign is on there and that can be used as a template for anyone's local filthy book campaign or statewide filthy book campaign. Um, But where I would um, get the book reports was from primarily I would use booklooks.org. And that's a great um, website as a resource to find, um, you know, the book reports. Um, they, They rate them on there. And I don't always agree with their ratings, which just shows that, you know, ratings can be very subjective. And, and but anyway, but that is a great resource, booklooks.org. Um another thing that I do is if I don't if I can't find a book report, um, there's a an app called Go Libby. And if you have a uh, library card, you can find digital books. So it's kind of like having a Kindle. Um, but through a library where you can get the books for free. Um, I do also use Kindle. My poor husband, he's like, can you please stop buying these filthy books? (laughs) I have so many on my Kindle, um, but I would make my own book reports for some of them because you just can't find everything on there um, on booklooks.org. The other thing to know is that you can, when you're doing a book audit, or I'm sorry, a library audit, uh, you can use most most schools have their library collection online now. Yeah. Now there's some schools that do require a password, uh, but if you go to gofollit.com, 
um, GoFollet is the is is the library management system that most school districts seem to be using. And they're also a book vendor. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where you can do auditing of your own um, of your own school libraries. I'll tell you, one of the things that we know is that is that we have to follow up on HB 900 as a subcommittee. And so what we're working on right now and we'll have at the end of the month is a package for people to use um, to help them apply HB 900 in Texas to getting books removed sooner than the timelines um, that are in the law and then also using it for uh, getting books removed out of the children's section of the public library. But I would encourage anyone in the rest of the nation to use um, the package that we come up as a resource to do um, effective advocacy in their own state on the issue. And so all of that will be added to the Substack account, the daughter.substack.com. And it will make sure to leave um, a link for and people. And so that can be a resource for everyone. It should be ready by the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that is so exciting. And, and we will absolutely leave links to the Substack account just to make sure that listeners can just click right on it and go to it because this is, this is really important. How many kids are in Texas education system? Do you know? Oh my gosh, I think there. I know there's there's millions, and um, I don't know the exact number, but I I did look it up at some point to see, you know, some of our largest school districts, how many students they serve, um, so, but we have million, you know, millions of students here in Texas, and I would say, you know, I just um. I encourage everybody to get involved in what's happening in our schools and what's happening in our communities related to the sexualization of kids. We have got to raise our community standards. Community standards are really important to the law. And what's happening in your local community affects you directly. But it also, um, I mean, as, as we erode our community standards, we will see more um, more of this. And mm-hmm. so it's really a time to correct it. I tell everybody, tech, uh, parents, parents and grandparents are the new special interest group. Mm-hmm. And when it came to HB 900 and passing the Reader Act, we saw that and we saw that at the very end when we knew that HB 900 was at risk of failing through the amendments that they were trying to add on to it. And um, we had the most amazing grassroots response and effort. So we were giving out calls to action from this, um, you know, from the party in messaging out, call your senator, call the lieutenant governor HB 900 is model legislation. It is their responsibility to get it passed into the governor's desk. No amendments. And in that messaging, thousands, thousands of of Texas parents and grandparents and citizens who don't even have kids, but they care about kids, called and emailed and showed up at the Capitol. And it was too big 
to fail. Yeah. It was too big to fail. And, and, uh, it was amazing to see that 35,000 emails were sent from one organization alone. (laughs) Parents and grandparents are part of every single organization. And, um, when we get involved, um, boy, we can make a difference. So I just encourage everybody to, to get involved and don't be discouraged. Don't give up, uh, hand everything over to the Lord, be dutiful to him and he will take care of the rest. Yes. Amen. It's so well said. And, and so many people, even, even if you're not in Texas, but all of us have a responsibility to do something and to make our voices heard. So often I, so many people say, well, you know, what am I going to do? I'm one person. Well, you can get with those other 35,000 and, and join with them in standing against this evil. That's, that's attacking our kids. I would say in Texas, this was the legislative session that we um, protected children. Um, And, you know, eventually to the millstone package, we're going to add pediatric gender modification. We banned that. We um, we have we're prohibiting sexual oriented performances in front of children. It won't take effect until September 1st. So we're um, still seeing these so-called family friendly drag shows. Um, But come September 1st, that will be illegal in the state. Um, you know, we have a new sexual grooming law, a criminal penalty for sexual grooming that is extremely broad. It tackles inducement, enticement, um, coercion, and, um, oh, what's the other word? Um, uh, persuasion, I think, is in there. Um, It's extremely, um, yes, persuade. So it's extremely broad. A lot of people have asked me, why isn't that always already illegal? Well, sexual grooming is really more of an emotional sexual abuse. And we do have a federal law um, that's very specific about enticing a child over state lines to uh, perform sexually. Um, but most states don't have a sexual grooming uh, criminal penalty. And so the state of Texas now has that. And um you know, there's just, there's all kinds of good things that we did in the state of Texas. Um, I know a lot of states are are tackling this across the nation and, and we just, we want to see more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's nothing more important than protecting children. And, and that is what, you know, when we talk about the Milston package and, it's Matthew 18, 6. Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And, and you know, what I, I truly believe that these offenses against children, there is nothing worse than that. The Bible tells us that. Jesus said that. Um, and in that same um, respect, there is nothing better than to defend children, defend their innocence, defend childhood and protect children. So no one, I don't think anyone will regret doing work locally, statewide, nationally related to issues in protecting kids. Hey friends, we love hearing from our listeners who tune into our podcast every week. We're always looking to connect with our community and create content that truly resonates with you. If you have a suggestion or topic you'd like us to cover, you can now write us at fearlessfeatures.org forward slash mailbox. 
Your support and encouragement mean the world to us, and we couldn't do this without you. Thank you for allowing us to share our passion and knowledge with you. Link to the mailbox is in the show notes. In a lot of these talks that I give um, around the state, I talk about how you know people get very upset about the books being in the schools, and and I and I say that I've been able to give um, a lot of them grace because we just didn't know. I mean, right. we didn't, and a lot of them, they snuck it in. They were, it was, you know, this has been a problem over the years that they've kind of like that boiling frog effect. Um, however, once they do know, if they don't do anything about it, I don't give them any more grace. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> At that point, I'm just like, I have no tolerance for it. Yeah, once it, you know about it, do something about it. Um, and if you don't, you should be held accountable and removed from the school board or, you know, as a superintendent. Um, yeah, it is, so. uh, James 417, what Mark said. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons we've seen why, why people want to ignore it, because they know that when they when they're exposed to it, then they're going to feel a sense of guilt. And so mm-hmm. it's willful ignorance. It, there's two kinds of ignorance. There's there's I honestly didn't know ignorance, but now I know. And then there's willful ignorance where they they just refuse to look at it. And that's the that's the problem mm-hmm. that we see with a lot, of, especially yeah. people and legislators. Yeah, which is I mean, it, and it is kind of a testament to what we talked about with the filthy book campaign is that I've made sure that they could not ignore the issue through the filthy book campaign. And, and, you know, and it, and what it was, what's really neat about it too is that um, Democrats, we had 11 Democrats vote in favor in the house for HB 900. And it's because they could not unsee what they saw. Yeah. You know, and we had some real heroes, even in the Democrat Party, one in particular, uh, Representative Sean Theory, who spoke very um, candidly about the bill in favor of it and took a lot of heat from the Democrat Party for doing that in the LGBTQ cult. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I would say, too, um, something for everyone who's listening to also keep in mind is that um, we need Christians to get involved um, we, I would say our committee, you know, everything we did was, uh, we did so much through prayer. We always led in prayer. Um, God was with us. I mean, it, God was palpable at the Texas Capitol on so many occasions. And we literally, we had a stop sexualizing Texas kids day of action and prayer, uh, that a pastor, um, with North Texas conservatives helped me organize. And I will tell you, it was like revival at the Texas Capitol. And, and God was, I mean, God was um, going in front of us, around us, beside us, behind us. I mean, it was just, God was leading all of it. And he was in so many of the details. And I tell people almost everything occurred on a Tuesday. So Tuesdays were very significant for us. And I tell people that, you know, the last um, when when the Senate was trying to make these amendments, um, I, I said we were at war for a week. It started on a Tuesday 
and it ended on a Tuesday. And God was in all those details. And Tuesday is very significant in the Bible. Apparently, I didn't know that. But it's the only day that was that's really mentioned in the Bible specifically. And um, but but the point is, is just every you know we need Christians involved um, in government. It's it is it is so important. And and then what as we're involved in everything you do, be prayerful about it. It's a great, great message. And just to reiterate, and dysphoria absolutely uh, puts a call out for the church to get involved in in the political system. And we we have to stand up. Why I don't know. We we cannot be silent anymore. These things are are really affecting our family. They're affecting our way of life. And we're our next generation is not going to have the same freedoms that we have uh, and have enjoyed if if we don't get out and do something about it now. It's mm-hmm. so true. I, there's a um, a great quote, and I can't remember who it's by, but it's um, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Mm-hmm. It might be John Wesley, I think, is the is who said that. But it's so true. I, and I tell when I speak on this, I ask parents, are we going to be the generation of parents and grandparents that tolerate the sexualization of our children. And if we do, what does that mean for them? What are they going to then embrace? And frankly, we have tolerated way too much for way too long. Mm -hmm. And we are having to deal with what a um, significant amount of the population is already embracing, um, which is, you know, this um, hypersexualization and LGBTQ kind of agenda. And so we, we can't tolerate it. And, um, and I think a lot of people are seeing it now, now that they have really come after the children, mm-hmm. I think more and more are waking up. They have crossed a line that, that we're not willing to tolerate. Yeah. So what's next for Kristen Bentley? What can we be watching out for? <laughs> Well, um, I definitely will be wanting to screen dysphoria in the state of Texas. Everybody should be We're going to be in touch, that. sister. You um, better believe you know, it. <laughs> um, I'm, it's just, it's a huge honor to serve um, in the capacity that I, that I do. And so we know that there's more work um, that has to be done on Stop Sexualizing Texas Kids. And so our, our subcommittee is really shifting gears and we're looking at um, what we can do locally to help support um, uh, getting um, books out of the schools, out of the public libraries, and also raising community standards through city ordinances. And so we will be um, working on all of those issues and supporting people in their local um, local endeavors. Um, I know for for us, we also have elections, you know, the primary is coming up and we've got big elections coming up. And so I'll be working on that as well. Yeah, we we have to get more conservatives elected (laughs) since since you said that. And I before we go, um, just real quick. So how how are you or are you finding a good way to reach the church? 
Well, I think it's almost becoming impossible for the church to ignore what is going on. And and I did see a statistic recently, y'all might have seen this, but more and more young people are starting to go get back to church. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real testament to what is going on in the world and this darkness that people are feeling. And so they are repenting and turning back to God. And that's really good. Um, I think that um, it is more important than ever for everyone um, to reach out to their own elders and um, start communicating that churches need to get involved in education issues, especially they need to get involved in family issues and start ministries that support homeschooling families or um, create their own micro school if that's what they need to do. If it's a small church, any church could, could you know, have a ministry that includes educating children. And so I know for me and in my Senate district, um, I work with a lot of church groups and try and speak at as many of them as I can. Um, and I'll tell you, like I said before, um, Pastor Brandon Burden out of Kingdom Life Church in Frisco, Texas, he leads a group, um, an organization, uh, North Texas Conservatives. He and I worked together and it was, I mean, we... The combination of of his organization working with the Republican Party of Texas, it was amazing to see the results. I mean, I so I just think people who um, serve in in any sort of capacity, um, we should be reaching out to our churches to get them more involved. And so, for people, I because I I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people listening and their elder board is going to say, no, we're not going to get involved. Um, What kind of advice do you have for, for those people and and those listeners? What, what would you say to them if their, if their church doesn't want to get involved, what, what should they be doing? Well, there's a few things that come to mind. Um, the one thing that was a new concept to me that was I was recently taught is about the ecclesia. 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 Mm-hmm. Are you open? Um, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. Ecclesia. Um, but I love this concept of the ecclesia, where um, you know the church is supposed to be part of the government. That is what the church was meant to be. Public square. And so this idea that a church because of a 501c3 status can't get involved in politics is, um, it's not biblical. Um, It is absolutely not biblical, but it's also not really a legal argument as well, because any 501c3 can get involved in government. They just can't get involved in partisan politics. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean, you know, maybe you can't, um, be um as a church uh promoting a single candidate i don't know like but you can absolutely get involved in issues that are political and and should be doing that um i would also just say and i and you know i know this is a very sensitive um subject for a lot of people but i go to a church we're members um, becoming members of a church that um, that is not afraid to talk about things that are happening in the world and how we should, as Christians, be responding to them and what our government 
should be doing in response. And so I personally would not want to be part of a church right now that is lukewarm. We are told by Jesus, you are either hot or you are cold, and we are meant to be hot. And if you are going to a church that absolutely refuses to address these issues, then you might as well be going to one of the churches that is embracing this um, idea that that sexualizing kids and the LGBTQ stuff is um, is biblical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you have to go to a church that is willing to to be involved, and um, and there are plenty of churches I think that are um, pastors are feeling convicted to speak out, and um, you know I know that that might be hard for some people in their communities, but you know. As much as I think we all enjoy going to church physically, a lot of churches do have online. Um, they have um, online sermons, and you can participate live um, from a distance. So, if you don't have a church that's willing to speak out on what's happening in the world right now, um, then there's got to be a, a church, you know, in a city that. Um, relatively close that you could at least tune in online and create your church in your home with some friends. Yeah, it's it's such a great, great thought and a great process because we really do need strong shepherds who are leading God's flock, and, you know, and bringing others along. I mean, and that's the thing where we, we still need to be witnessing to the world and we can't stay within our our, our church building. That's not helping anyone. No, and I know, um, you know, we have a, we have always, this country was built on biblical principles and a biblical worldview. And one of the things, you know, in Mind Polluters that, that is so striking is that, um, you know, we, as Christians, we are sending our children to schools that do not share a biblical worldview. They share a secular worldview. And that is then, um, having a, a great impact on our own kids' um, spiritual lives and morality, and um, and we have to be, we have to start realizing that um, that biblical worldview needs to be a part of every every aspect of our lives. And so, if we're going to a church that will not get involved in ensuring that this nation continues to have a biblical worldview and principles, biblical principles, um, they may not, um, real churches may not exist, you know, or they may exist only in hiding. And, um, and we, we really need to understand that and fight it. Mm -hmm. So, and it's really satisfying, I think, to go to, um, to get involved and go to a church that is, is talking about the spiritual war that we're in. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I love talking about all that. I mean, the battles are, I don't know, I guess I'm, maybe I'm just a person who I find a lot of joy in the battle. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, I, I just couldn't imagine going to a church that wasn't talking about the spiritual battle that we're in right now. Yeah. Or spiritual war. Cause our battle is not against flesh and blood. It, <laughs> it's against <Right>. the spiritual 
Oh, yeah. Oh, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is so delightful to hear your voice and to talk to you again all the way in Texas. We send much love from Indiana and we can't wait to get back to Texas to be with you. I can't wait. I can't wait to see y'all in person and uh, and can't wait for the film to come out, for Dysphoria to come out. So it's well, great talking to y'all. Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us and sticking through all the way to the end. If you want to learn more about the conversations we've been talking about, you can visit fearlessfeatures.org. And don't forget, The Mind Polluters is available through the end of June for $2.99 to rent on our website, themindpolluters.com. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week.